0: Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly
1: O'Brien.
0: And introducing, on bass guitar, Mr. Dennis Dunaway. Who's that? A founding member of original shock rock group Alice Cooper, Dennis helped take the band from a group of high school track teammates to worldwide stardom before flaming out a wild misfire of greed, ego, and ill-advised solo albums. And today we'll be learning all about his life and career through his book Snakes, Guillotines, Electric Chairs, My Misadventures in the Alice Cooper group. Wow, what a title. Wow. Do we yeah. learn a lot about all those things in this a- in this book?
1: They're all mentioned. You know, they're all... Spoiler alert, they're all just stage uh, contraptions for their (laughs) stage show. No one gets... Killed uh, by the government for for doing crimes or anything like that. It's all just good fun, rock and roll.
0: <laughs> Guillotines, electric chairs. What is this, leftist Twitter?
1: What is this, the French Revolution? They didn't have electric chairs back then.
0: Uh, speaking of that, this episode might sound a little wonky. We're recording on a uh, kind of makeshift rig that I set up because our actual recording group is in the or recording setup is in the possession of one Mister Virgil Texas. So as soon as Virgil. Gets me my stuff back. We can go back to sounding like normal and also being able to actually edit this instead of recording on a single track. So I apologize in advance. If this ep sounds Wonky
1: don't apologize for anything. You're right. No. Have not you learned anything from politics?
0: Yes. The only this sounds is, great <laughs> Yeah, if you think this sounds weird, that's your fault.
1: Your ears are so wrong.
0: We're all beautiful stable geniuses. You're the one who's wrong
1: <laughs> I mean, you know if I had a nickel for every time in a fight with someone I referred to myself as a stable genius I'd have at least 30 cents.
0: Yeah it's the ultimate insult. Not cuz not only are you smart, you're constantly smart. Yeah. Never not smart. Never
1: not smart. Uh, let's talk about Dennis Dunaway.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Dennis Dunaway.
1: He, you know, so we're back to our bread and butter, right? When we were first thinking of starting this thing, we wanted to do specifically rhythm instrumentals, uh, memoirs because, Mm -hmm. you know, playing the drums or the bass, um, really puts you in a unique position, sort of at the back of the room, um, looking at singers butts. It's Uh, a lot of people that
0: are like in the sidecar of the band.
1: The you know that documentary,
0: 30 Feet from Stardom? Mm-hmm. We were more pitching in like 15 feet 15 from stardom. Feet.
1: 10 to 15 feet. Sometimes when they do that thing where you both sing on the same mic and you're like, oh, la, la, la. Wow. then it's like, you know, third, you know, two inches from stardom. Yeah. But, you know, you get a unique perspective because you're you're not quite the star, but maybe you were the one who had the ideas all along. Maybe all of your success was actually because of you.
0: Yeah. It's like um, when Bono. Uh, gets to wander out on the big jutting stage and go do dramatic uh, kneels and wails. Uh, Adam Clayton Mm. just stays back and is like, you know what? I'm cool here in home base.
1: But you know what? Adam Clayton's the hot one, so he's actually fine. He's the
0: sexiest member of U2 by far. My mom put me onto that. um, I think that that is a thing about uh, basses and drummers. And I'm like totally speculating here, but I feel like they're more often than not. like The front man has charisma, and people are always attracted to... That, but often, like, the bass guy or the drummer is, like, the secret hottie, especially the drummer, because mm-hmm. they have to work so hard every time. They are doing, like, uh, you know, uh, calisthenics, basically, two hours, three hours a night, every night.
1: Yeah, they're guaranteed to have um, pretty rock-solid tries and buys. Yeah. So, there's that. Um Dennis
0: well first of all what did you know about Alice Cooper before we went into this I
1: didn't know anything at all other than like the obvious songs Um, Alice Cooper I my first media experience of him was being a talking head on VH1 nostalgia (laughs) shows uh, when I started watching those in like the early 2000s
0: yeah he's kind of a joker and he like shows up in uh, movies and stuff pretty frequently as far as like random rock figures from the 70s show up in movies he's in a Wayne's World right
1: Is he? That wouldn't surprise me. I
0: believe he is in Wayne's World.
1: So, do you come to Milwaukee often? Well, I'm a
0: regular visitor here, but Milwaukee has certainly had its share of visitors. The French missionaries and explorers were coming here as early as the late 1600s to trade with the Native Americans. In fact, isn't Milwaukee an Indian name? Yes, Pete, it is. Actually, it's pronounced Milwaukee, which is Algonquin for the good land.
1: I was not aware of that. Um, yeah, he. Uh, I. I was only aware of Alice Cooper. I did not even understand uh, until I read this book that Alice Cooper was the group. And it was only, you know, through a sort of subsuming of of ego that Alice Cooper became the person as well as the group. And that's a key theme in this is the (laughs) is the two headed snake of uh, Alice Cooper, the guy and Alice Cooper, the band. And they're destined to to split apart. See,
0: even I knew that Alice Cooper was the band first and the guy second. I didn't know that. Uh, My main opinion of Alice Cooper, the band, uh, even though this, again, was not substantiated, is that I had the same feeling that most people... I think have about uh, Devo is that they know them from that one song, uh, either "Schools Out" in Alice Cooper's case or Devo. But I, I had a distinct feeling that their actual catalog was much richer uh, and uh-huh. deeper in, in a way that their one massive hit uh, belied. Because "Schools Out" is a, a pretty corny song, uh, but it, I was listen- it rocks
1: pretty hard though, man. It,
0: it does rock, but it's also you know uh, kind of corny, especially when you think of you know a a a band of a uh, adult. Uh, shock rockers uh, singing about how much they're waiting for 315 to roll around. So the uh, bell lets them out on summer vacation. It's it's very uh, adolescent and juvenile. But no,
1: I don't think anyone ever really outgrows being like 16 years old. Like, I feel like every, every dude's dick is still 16. <laughs> and if you sing through your dick. Yeah. As Alice know. Cooper
0: did. Yeah. A very dick forward singer. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get into his life.
1: Dennis Dunaway. Great name. Um, so he introduces his book uh, by mentioning the breakup straight off, um, but he says blame. Wait, it. are you
0: telling me that this book, this rock star memoir, starts in media res?
1: Actually, kind of not really. Um, it, 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 unlike you know Hall and Oates, who started their the book in the the belly of a giant bass drum on the set of a music video <laughs> when they realized that things had gone too far. Um, no, he he's talking from from experience and his like sort of wizened state. Uh, but you know, obviously. We learned from the beginning that Alice Cooper, the group, did not survive Alice Cooper, the person, um, and, you know, they were only around for a limited time. So he he mentions this, but he's like, blame is not important. Blame does not override the memories of how goddamn great it was to be a fast-moving rock and roller in the 60s and 70s. Hold the tragedy. We had cubic fun. <laughs> cubic fun, man.
0: Cubic fun. Damn. So, no, I want to he- have that kind of fun. Usually my fun is uh, two-dimensional at best. Fun most. Wear- the time it's just linear. Uh (laughs) but cubic fun is a type of fun that I, I maybe only get once or twice a year.
1: Yeah. Well he had it it appears all the time. So that's good good for you, Dennis. Thanks for having fun. Um, yeah, so he he says, Alice Cooper, the group, was five high school guys who liked fast cars. We jumped into the super stock car called Rock and Roll and peeled out. I'm going to share our dream with you. <laughs> He's like, I like his style. He's like, I think he knows what he is, which is just like someone who lived the Rock and Roll dream at the right time. He, and he was just like, he was in that side car yeah. of the stock car.
0: I like that imagery. Life. Yeah, The fast car called Rock and Roll. Beep,
1: beep, motherfucker. Coming through. All right, so... Dennis met Alice Cooper, who back then he knew as Vince. Um, Alice Cooper's name is Vince. And he refers to him as Vince when he is Vince, and then when he sort of becomes Alice Cooper, who starts calling him Alice. Sure. I think it's interesting that he has that sort of, like, divide. Um, there at, is a becoming. There is a becoming, for sure-sies. Um At Cortez High School in Phoenix, Arizona, beautiful Phoenix, um, he said, what created our tight bond was our mutual interest in surrealism and pop art. Um, Vince was a fast talker, like a bullshitter kind of dude. He was like a little guy, but he was always trying to like con people into believing his like crazy stories and lies. Um, So the two of them loved talking about Salvador Dali. That was like their thing. Um, They had an art teacher who did things like blindfold the whole class, have them stick their hand in a bag and draw what they felt, (laughs) uh, which was a dried up devil fish from the Gulf of Mexico. (laughs) Cool art teacher.
0: Very cool art project. I also want to note that I think this is one of the very few rock acts originating out of uh phoenix arizona yeah yeah uh which i've been to a few times and no offense any listeners from phoenix but that place is uh always seems to me as a place utterly devoid of culture or or life force
1: that's a from from a void cometh the the thing
0: yeah i mean to be a kid who is intensely interested in pop art and surrealism in like mid-1960s phoenix i think you have to have be pretty uh you know turned on uh, naturally.
1: Yes. Also like, I, I feel like it still blows my tragic millennial mind that the way they even found out about Dolly was probably like checking out a library book or something (laughs) and being like, Whoa, look at that crazy shit. Um, And so that experiment where their art teacher has them touch a devil fish, he said, you think this experiment had an influence on me and Vince, you think? (laughs) (laughs) So like they were developing their sort of macabre Mm -hmm. uh, aesthetic from an early age. Um,
0: Reach in the bag and touch the devilfish sounds like it could be an Alice Cooper lyric.
1: It sounds like it could be a sexual assault as well. (laughs) Um, Dennis, he grew up in a family of people who did things like pour salt on the floor and two-step to guitar picking country music all night.
0: Wait, but wait, how are those two? Things related. You
1: know, like you put, first you put the salt on the floor and then you kind of shuffle around and you make salty noises. Okay, so so it's
0: like, okay, great. Okay, (laughs) you know,
1: you never did that growing up, Chris? No,
0: I did not. I did not.
1: I did not either. Um, I'm like super. I mean,
0: you're the one who did line dancing.
1: I, well, it was, first of all, I was contra dancing and there was no salt on the floor. No salt, but it was usually in like snowy Vermont nights and there's probably some like salt on people's boots from the snow outside
0: anyway. Yeah. Just like our floor right now. Right. Covered in a thin salty residue.
1: Yeah. Um, exactly. Uh, it's, I think it's so funny that so many of these musicians like came from really like communal musical backgrounds where it was just like families playing, like families jamming together. I yeah. feel like we've lost that tradition because Yeah, well, When was the, the last internet? time you
0: jammed with your dad?
1: I've never jammed with my dad.
0: My parents have zero uh, musical interest, uh, which is kind of shocking that I play like a little bit of every instrument.
1: It came from the void, man.
0: It came from the void.
1: Shit comes from voids. Uh, at uh, uh, Dennis's eighth grade dance he has a beautiful female dance partner um, who sways with him to the song In the Still of the Night while he quote struggled with his woody the connection was made (laughs) music equals sexual force I'm not sure if he was more turned on by like the beautiful ballad or Mm -hmm. the the lady boobs brushing against his (laughs) lapels
0: yes is the night still or are you just happy to see me (laughs)
1: Uh, he then, and they're still in high school, he creates a phony Beatles band, um, out of his, uh, cross country track members, uh, to play at a school talent show. And the whole point is, I guess they're going to like roast their coach, uh, (laughs) via songs that sound like the Beatles. I read about
0: this a little before, uh, we started and this honestly sounds like the lamest, uh so cover cover band or the lamest like battle of the band's joke. It's like we're gonna make like making a fake Beatles band I can see you the can merits of but then being like and we're gonna bend the entirety of the satire around making fun <laughs> of the track coach. I
1: <laughs> yeah no it's it's hella lame um, and so in order to create the band they recruit uh, they recruit this uh, taciturn guitarsman named Glenn Buxton to join them um, they named their band the Earwigs which is still a bug name yeah it's
0: a Beatles pun
1: um, and they totally crush it at the talent show like girls are like oh my god that was so funny and the guys are like oh man that was so funny and they were like oh this is actually fun to be a band because people paying attention are paying attention to us and music is fun
0: I actually can uh, identify with this so hard because I remember at uh, my local high school battle of the bands uh, done at Bogarts in Cincinnati around uh, 2003, four. I remember one of my good buddies was in a, um, like in a really, uh, I forgive me if you're listening to this, uh like a real try hard garage rock band where they were all wearing like the Vines t-shirts and hey, like the guy like cool. the main guy, like practiced playing guitar solos behind his head and stuff and come and play it in the battle of the bands. Um, uh, and they got totally crushed by this band that was like two people playing broken guitars and drum sets called the Gay Vultures that just had all these uh joke songs which i don't think i have on this computer so i can't play now but i'll edit in uh after the podcast
1: they were they they cut some tracks oh
0: yeah they cut some tracks and they're uh very funny just about uh being horny in detention and uh, biblical characters just uh, being gay with each other. It's like very, 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 very good uh, juvenilia.
1: I was walking around my school in Finit Town. My pants were falling down. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. My principal said, hey there, I can see your underwear. Your pants are much too low. That's a detention, detention, you silly hoe. Gay Vultures Detention Party. Nick and, Matt, Nick and Matt, Nick and Matt, Nick and Matt, Nick and Matt. Gay Vultures Detention Party. Matt and Nick, Matt and Nick, Matt and Nick, Matt and Nick. Gay Vultures Detention Party. After school, after school, after school, after school. Gay Vultures Detention Party. It was really late. Hey.
0: Also, uh, if I can dig up this uh, track, uh, shout out to uh, Cherub, the other high school band that had a very funny track that I'll try to put in a little bit of.
1: Here we go. Like you were blessed with a, a rich tapestry mm-hmm. of musical talent at your high school. We basically had one band that was like the emo band, mm-hmm. and one band that was the fish cover band, and that was it. <laughs> um, uh uh, so, yeah, like they, they get this taste of attention and they want more. Um, and Dennis, uh, basically, he wanted to play guitar, but the other guy was way better at guitar, so he's like, I guess I'll play bass. Uh, I feel <laughs> yep, like that's, that's how, how it always works. Um, he picks string beans at his grandfather's farm all summer to earn enough money to buy a bass, which is string beans. super pastoral. Um, and this is in 1964. The bass is purchased. The earwigs become the spiders because they're... Scarier? Yeah. I don't know. Upgrade. They, they play their high school dance, which for some reason is themed the pit and the pendulum. <laughs>
0: Dope, dope high school dance. I know thing.
1: my my high school prom was themed Arabian Nights, which honestly sounds problematic at this point.
0: Yeah, what did people what wear? Just like all dressed like they were characters in Aladdin.
1: No, nothing. The prom themes are bullshit. I yeah. think there were like maybe That's streamers, th- except
0: for that prom. That theme. prom. Everything's like dope. Under the sea or turn back time. I want a more one thing. night in yeah. Paris. I want more thing like forbidden dungeon, <laughs> inside the dragon's tomb.
1: Death Death becomes them.
0: The wizards assault. Basically, more uh, more proms should be themed after like heavy metal imagery from the '80s.
1: Yeah, the Deathly Hallows. <laughs> um, then uh, the spiders become the house band of Phoenix's the VIP Lounge, um, which if you have to name your whole <laughs> venue, the VIP Lounge, um, okay. Uh, one night, the Yardbirds play the VIP, so like it's a it's a legit venue. People um, come through, yeah. And the spiders honor them by opening for them and playing all Yardbird songs. <laughs>
0: I feel like people didn't People didn't quite understand how, like, being a band works still in the 60s. They were definitely like, didn't. We'll just do other people. Do we do other people's songs? Do we write our own songs? That's what I think. Yes. I was, like, trying to say this about the Beatles in the early 60s when we were at my mom's house and listening to only Beatles channel on XM Radio. Shout out to Sirius
1: <laughs> XM Radio, Beatles she channel. she couldn't figure out how
0: to put anything else on about how, like, w- the key thing about the Beatles is they figured out how to be a a band as mm-hmm. like a template yes and the uh, like how i mean this how is how to fairly, release records and yeah, yeah. singles yeah like this is a fairly obvious point but just like oh records could have their own individual sounds and each time we come back we can be a slightly different thing mm-hmm. and like we make all our own songs and don't just play other people's
1: yes i think one common theme in all these memoirs is like in the people's early days they're just trying to figure out of like well wait a second we want, a, we want our own sound, but all we have are the songs that are already written. How can we have new songs? And then they just yeah, figure yeah. out like, how, like, like songwriting. Oh, we'll
0: just make our own version of the song. Yeah. Wait, so we, do we just go out there and play Like a Rolling Stone 13 times in a row? <laughs>
1: Or just like, oh, the Yardbirds are playing and people have paid money to see the Yardbirds tonight. What should we do? Maybe we should also play Yardbird songs. I'm also just
0: imagining them coming off stage after having played a whole set of Yardbird songs and like going up to the Yardbirds and being like, hey guys, what do you think? And the Yardbirds all being like, dude, it's
1: not cool. cool. That's basically what (laughs) happened. They were like, the the Yardbirds were kind of like, well, thanks guys, I guess. Whatever. Yo, yo dog, I heard you like Yardbird songs <laughs> So we put Yardbird songs in your Yardbird songs So you can listen to Yardbirds while you listen to the Yardbirds, Yardbirds. <laughs> uh, Anyway, Spiders uh, Had the opportunity to cut an album Or record uh, Don't Blow Your Mind is their song um, Which, I don't know if you can find this on The Le- Spotify. Spotify But it gets some local radio play Which is cool I one day to find game
0: well,
1: now you know
0: the yeah that's pretty much straight off of nuggets nuggets yeah do you know that compilation the influential oh, yeah. uh, garage rock compilation mm-hmm. put together in the late 60s yes Uh... It's very uh, good, but it all basically sounds like that. So if you Mm -hmm. like that, uh, go listen to Nuggets like this gem. Yeah, so very uh, you know, ninety six tiers question mark on Mysterians, but 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 similar vibe, right? It was
1: on the Shrek soundtrack, right? Was it? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh my god.
0: I hope I didn't play myself like that.
1: No, 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 no. no, no. That was a bad joke. Um uh yes. V V garagey. Um meanwhile they they start like gigging around and they start messing with like stage gags and effects such as a seven foot plywood disc called the Electro Mind Machine. <laughs> um, which I guess is it just is one like- of
0: those uh those circular spinning discs that had like white and black spirals that like you would use to hypnotize Adam West's so. Batman?
1: I think so. Um, simple but effective. Yeah. Uh, one one night, they, or one day rather, they play a coffee house near uh, the University of Arizona and a troop of Nazi guys in full regalia oh enter and sit. Uh, the band opens with a lightning fast version of Chuck Berry's Nadine and the Nazis <laughs> shout, uh, Zeke Heil, while a girl who they later found out is deaf, dances around to the vibrations of the music. Hell yeah. Um,
0: Surreal scene.
1: And then Dennis says, I wondered how we'd explain this gig. Well, a bunch of Nazis and a deaf girl really liked us. <laughs> um, he said, we should bill ourselves as the band that appeals to everyone but the masses. Vince took on a noble expression and said, when the weird people become the masses, we'll be famous. <laughs> um, so Nazis love them for some reason. I, I I don't know why, um, yeah. but that's that that's fine. Uh, so their early local gigs often end in in brawls and near riots. Um, there's a venue manager who tells them to basically get get out of there as soon as people start breaking up the chairs. <laughs> that's when it's <laughs> time for them to go. Um, in the summer of '67, they decide to uh, go to LA, so they're just like sleeping on park benches and strutting down Sunset Strip like we were a five-headed dragon. <laughs> so at this point, they've added basically the original lineup to the band. Sure. Um There's a we Michael would? Bruce, the guitarist, and drummer Neil Smith, the Golden God.
0: The Golden God. Uh,
1: Where and are they, they have, keeping their
0: gear if they're sleeping on park benches?
1: They have a van. I guess it's either they they're in the van or the gear is in the van. I don't really know, but it's like they've they've got a van, which they eventually. Crash at some point because they're tired. Sure. It's a whole thing. Um, they have changed their band from the Spiders because somebody stole that name uh, to the Naz n-a-z-z um they keep trying out for record deals one record executive literally sets their demo tape on fire in front of them and drops (laughs) it in a trash can so i don't know if that imagery has ever been used in like a movie before but it was probably stolen from this uh that's pretty badass
0: and honestly that would only continue look if if your demo gets that strong of a reaction from somebody you're doing something right
1: yeah yes um yeah yes uh so they keep getting their band's name stolen. Someone else becomes the Naz. The the rule of thumb Todd, at this point- Todd Rundgren, right? Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> at this point, it's like if someone puts out a real album on a real record label with the band name, that's their band name. Yeah. So if you're unsigned and unrecorded, you have to come up with something
0: else? Sure. Uh, the Naz seems like an oddly specific one to get stolen out under you. It
1: does. I just, I would never think of that in a million years. Um, yeah. So- Vince is the one who comes up with Alice Cooper as the band name right. to denote the band not himself, but then he starts eventually calling himself Alice Cooper, the person.
0: And where does the name Alice Cooper come from?
1: I don't know. He doesn't say it in the thing. I um I was know? I was
0: looking into this a little bit, and apparently there's a long-running urban legend that it came from a Ouija board session that the spirits oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. spoke to them afterwards. But uh, as apparently revealed in uh, the book Alice Cooper uh, Golf Monster, uh, apparently Alice Cooper got real into golf and had a book about yes. his golf fandom written about him called Golf Monster.
1: Oh, so he didn't, this isn't a self-penned yeah. book? Okay.
0: Which is a uh, which is a shame mm-hmm. that the title for that book has been taken now and can't be used uh, for the title of our uh, current Big Wet le- Leader's <laughs> next uh, biography. Uh, but in Golf Monster, he apparently reveals that, that is noth- the Ouija board thing is nothing more than an urban legend that they leaned into because if you're gonna be in a band like Alice Cooper, why not? just lean into any demonic legend thrown at you.
1: Now, now that I remember it, they, he talks about the Ouija board. Um, and he said that the name definitely came first and then someone might've like done it as a joke afterwards Mm -hmm. on the Ouija board. Um, yeah. So Alice Cooper is officially born. Um, and they're all about, you know, Vince is now trying to create these like stage characters, like scary, evil characters for their scarier, eviler songs. Um, and Dennis is like, yes, this is good. Like, dark theater and, like, theatrical performances and diving into characters. Like, we want this to be our whole thing. I think Dennis is trying to, like, lean into this idea that, like, he's the one who came up with this and, like, was championing their whole idea and concept yeah, especially yeah, yeah. since now like alice cooper has broken away and become his own thing and people associate all this stuff with alice cooper the man the man
0: so dennis is trying to really say that he was like the artistic director of this band yes okay yes
1: um it's not like overt but there's do you believe little him? i kind of do i i think i'm more inclined to believe underdogs in general sure um i i I don't really know what's at stake other than just his, like, reputation, but...
0: Well, you gotta put something to sell the book.
1: Yeah. It was me the whole time! Um, so, their big song at this point that, like, really encapsulates the band's vibe is Fields of Regret. Um, <laughs> Dennis calls uh, Glenn Buxton's solo on the recorded version a psychotic crime spree. <laughs> so do you want to pull that up?
0: Fields of Regret. Also, of regret. Also what I look back uh, on my 20s as...
1: You're still twenty
0: nine. This is pretty dope. It is
1: pretty dope, right? It reminds me of the like Psych Doom Spotify playlist you listen to sometimes.
0: Oh, yes. Uh, it's got, like, a little uh, cream in it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, like, coming out of that late 60s hard rock uh, move where the garage rock psychedelia bleeded into a, a bit of a harder, like, Yardbirdsy blues rock sound mm-hmm. and, like, kind of came out of... Uh, melded into what the next version of that thing would be.
1: Yeah, definitely darker...
0: Which is funny because I was listening to this. This is off of 1969's Pretties for You. I was listening to a few of the other uh, songs on this, and they honestly sound like they could be a, kind of a Beatles ripoff some other times. Um, yeah. But even sometimes listening to some of these lilting harmonies, it has a bit of a Beatles-y sound to it. Let's see but the if we can hear some are, of that.
1: The lyrics are dark. What horror must invade the mind when the approaching judge shall find sinful deeds from all mankind? Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm ready to go mind hunting. <laughs> this, this solo makes me want to yeah. mind hunt.
0: Pretty, pretty dope. Let's hear just like a second of another thing on this, so I can give a a, 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 sen- a sense of that Beatles sure. tune. I think that this is the one that I was listening to earlier. <laughs> She'd like to See, it has a little bit of that way. kind of uh, like barroom uh, sing-along sign that some of those later Beatles songs have, yeah, or mid-period Beatles way. songs have.
1: Yes. There's
0: like a whimsy to it, but it's definitely darker too. This is track four to Dave Mueller. Yeah, it's sort of
1: that like cabaret-y yeah. type of thing, uh, Lady Madonna style. Yes, um, exactly. But yeah. It, it, Glenn, or not Glenn, uh, Dennis would have you believe that he was the one who was like, yes, the darker stuff. Like, let's
0: Sure, sure. Drag dark. it down, in, drag down into the dark psychedelia.
1: Yes. Uh, the band moves, so they've officially moved from Phoenix at this point, sorry, Phoenix, uh, to Topanga Canyon in L.A. One Great. night, Jim Morrison and his, his doors uh, come over because I guess if you live in Topanga Canyon, that's just what happens.
0: Yeah. He goes door to door in Topanga Canyon and is like, (laughs) hi, can I take my shirt off in your house?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dennis says, Morrison sat on the floor and stared at our unusual coffee table. Uh, Les, who I think is the guy who, like, rented them the house. Les had built it in homage to what he thought Arizona folks would like. Its <laughs> glass top and screen sides held a cage of scorpions and lizards. What? Why? Uh, because that's what Arizona folks like, Chris. Oh, God. Morrison gazed at it with fixed intensity. Lizards, he said. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jim, Far Morrison, out, man. Jim Morrison is a lizard that has been turned into a man.
1: Yes, I think when he was saying he looked at them and said lizards, he meant like brothers. Brothers, come brother. to me. I must free you from this cage. Let me lick you.
0: Uh-huh. Jim Morrison sitting on a on a floor, staring at something for a long period of time, and then just saying lizards is about the most Jim Morrison thing I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, and just about the most like late '60s LA thing I've ever heard. Lizards. Um, so these boys, uh, they managed to convince Frank Zappa to sign them to Frank Zappa's labor, bizarre, label, Bizarre Records. Um, mm-hmm. They get to I him through Frank the Zappa's
0: label was called Straight Records.
1: Straight Records. Yeah.
0: I, well, either way, I think he maybe has uh, two <laughs> he has two labels: it's Bizarre and Straight. Depending on what kind of band you are. Yeah. Depending if you're a, a more uh, uh, far out guy or a more but uh, uh, down the list, low line guy.
1: Yes. Um... They get to him through the GTOs, which are the, like, groupie girls that they start hanging out with once they're hanging out in L.A. Yeah,
0: Frank, the GTOs are a great little group of Zappa groupies that he organizes into their uh, their own band uh, called Girls Together Outrageously. Mm. Uh, and they have a few true weirdo songs, like, I'm in love with the Ooh Man. I'm in love with the ooh, ooh Man. He was born and raised in <laughs> GGO's, good to check out. Jesus. They, they're they're uh they've got that weird zappa vibe, but they're all ladies.
1: That, that just reminds me of like is, is this truly the promise of being a woman in the recording industry? Is that if you have sex with enough people, you get to the privilege of recording a song like that? People like
0: the GTOs.
1: I like the GTOs. I am totally for that lifestyle. But like, it just reminds me of Ronnie Spector, uh, you know, being forced to record that song Tandoori Chicken <laughs> with uh George Harrison. Like, what bullshit. I don't know. That makes me upset. I feel like they could have made a different artistic statement, but it's fine. Love the oo ooh man. <laughs> Love him. His last name is the same as his first
0: <laughs> That's the thing about the oo man.
1: Drugs are crazy. Um, they so they, yeah, they sign with Frank Zappa. They also get these two guys from New York to be their managers. Um, one of the dudes is Shep Gordon, um, okay. who eventually goes on to basically invent celebrity chefs. Like, he <laughs> he reps like Emeril. Um, oh, wow, back in the day, or like more so. Forward this guy in has, the day. A, has a
0: finger tracing a line through celebrity culture. The, for this guy, decades. like, he
1: knows where he knows where it's at. He's in the right place at the right time doing the right stuff. Um, when the band has a really bad show, like clears the room, mm-hmm. uh, Shep goes, "Wow! It takes a powerful force to clear a room that fast. We've got to turn this around and make it work for you." See,
0: That's same what thing with, said. All, yeah, the, the setting the record on fire. You know, you're working with something when people have that visceral uh, reaction against you.
1: It's all about just tweaking it to to make people stay in the room.
0: We were here for the ooh man,
1: <laughs> play ooh <ooh-ooh> man.
0: Um, <laughs> what is this dark judge coming shit? Give me the ooh, man.
1: ooh, 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 ooh. Uh, I told you that we there was going to be a funny Zappa story, and um, Zappa's big idea for Alice Cooper, once he signs them, is to change the name of the band to Alice Cookies and make records that are the size of cookies and sell them in cookie tins. Alice uh, Cookies.
0: Alice Cookies.
1: And the, the band is like, oh,
0: my God. That must be so tough when, like, avant-garde, like, Prodigious, like known genius mm-hmm. Frank Zappa sits down. You're like, finally, we got the meeting with the guy who's gonna delight who's gonna show us the way. He's got the idea, and Zappa comes in with his like huge hair and mustache, and just sits down. And uh, silence, silence. You know, tenting his fingers over his <laughs> his furrowed brow, and just goes, "Cookies." <laughs> Everybody <laughs> just side eyes each other, and is like, "No, no, 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 no." no, no, no. <laughs>
1: Um, the, cook- the cookie vinyl would be way too expensive to print, so they, so they scrapped it. So thanks to the limitations of vinyl technology, um, they didn't have to be Alice Cookies. <laughs> Meanwhile, um, Neil's Neil the drummer's sister Cindy, um, who Alice has had a crush on since like late high school, she moves into the band's house and starts making their costumes um, as well as food. Um, they suddenly had tuna casserole coming out of our ears, <laughs> is what Dennis said about that.
0: Have you ever had a tuna casserole?
1: No. I don't. I don't think I have either. I've had a tuna melt many times. Which I think is we should delish. make a tuna
0: casserole and see what it's, th- all the fuss is about.
1: What's in it besides?
0: tuna noodle tunas and noodles tunas and
1: noodles I mean I like I like casserole it's one of those concept. like
0: mid-century foodstuffs where suddenly packaged tuna became like a thing you could have and so like the idea of cre- using packaged meat foods in something became fancy and now we look back on it and being like oh, Canned tuna, the lowest form of thing. Like everything that yeah. was super fancy in the late 60s is now things that we consider disgusting.
1: Yes. And, you know, culinary innovation back then was either let's bake it into a rectangle with some cheese or let's make it into jello. Yes. Those were the only two things that people ever did to try, try to make food like fancy.
0: Yeah. Foods in Jellos is a prime example of just because a technology comes along that says you can doesn't mean that you necessarily should. <laughs>
1: um so cindy cindy and alice or not cindy and alice uh, cindy and um uh dennis they like get together and you know they start like they share a room and like it's all free love and all that shit they eventually get married and they're still together
0: oh really yeah alice and neil's sister Uh,
1: no uh dennis and neil's sister oh wow isn't that nuts uh they've been together since like 1969 hell yeah Super cool. So you know she makes costumes. She Congratulations makes casserole. on like
0: coming up on her fiftieth
1: wedding anniversary. Yeah, absolute insanity. Uh, so they released their first album, Alice Cooper, in nineteen sixty nine. Uh, "Pretties for You." It has a very sloppy recording process because Zappa just kind of like checks out of life. Like he does not care. That's at all. interesting
0: because I feel like everything that I've read about Zappa has him being like a real studio hard ass. So he must have really not
1: given. A yeah, shit about I don't him think he all. did. It, it, according to Dennis, the recording process was like you know they recorded a song and they were like that kind of sounds weird they're like no it's good we'll we'll fix it in post um, basically
0: i mean i don't know we listened to a few tracks off of that it sounded pretty okay i was listening to it yesterday it it sounds like uh, you know he heightened level, late 60s garage rock, but uh, maybe not super exceptional at this at this point.
1: Yeah, it's fine. It's um, fine. But they, so they keep developing their stage theatrics, which Dennis refers to as a string of disjointed happenings. <laughs> was there some hidden meaning in Neil's having a woman's face painted on the crotch of his white pants? How does one explain why I sprayed pine fragrance over the audience? It was our version of Dada. Um, So yeah, I feel like he describes these things as being like, wow, this shit's so crazy. And it's like, whoa, having a woman's face on your your crotch.
0: Look, today we would say that the thing that they're missing is storytelling. There needs to be (laughs) a narrative experience, some kind of overarching thematic thread that draws these disparate experiences together.
1: Sure, sure, sure.
0: If you're going to be an art director, Dennis, art direct.
1: (laughs) Happenings are not enough. What is happening? What is happening? What's happening? They play um, a festival where bikers start destroying the stage by using a telephone pole as a battering ram yeah. so like th- like this is when things start to like disintegrate at the end of the 60s yes. and like everyone basically loses their collective minds. Um, this is around the same time that the chicken thing happens. Are you familiar with the chicken? Uh,
0: maybe in the back of my mind of rock lore but uh, go for it
1: Well so what happens is they have these chickens that they bring on tour mm-hmm. with them uh, for reasons. Um, and then Alice picks up one of them and throws it into the audience as the climax to one of his songs. But instead of like flying away, the chicken is like super disoriented and just falls into the audience where it's totally like pulverized. Sure. And then the audience is like covered in feathers and chicken blood. Yep. People think that it was done on purpose slash like, you know, all the animal rights people get really mad. Um, I think there are some allegations that like the audience brought the chicken, Alice destroyed it it was it sounds I don't know what you know we, we didn't catch this on tape, I guess, yes, but um that that's the chicken thing
0: um it's it's always funny like some of this stuff is dark for the time, but it's always funny imagining hearing songs like uh Uh, I mean, I guess that, that one has a bit of a dark carnival vibe to it, but uh, imagining the violence that it would take to batter the stage with a telephone pole, and also like here, here's a song that sounds like a a, a barroom calliope yeah, jam yeah, yeah. turned up. <laughs>
1: um. Oh, the 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 story was that Alice bit the head off the chicken. Oh yes, but that's not what happened.
0: That's not what happened. So he did not bite the head.
1: He did not bite. I the did
0: head. not.
1: I did not. Um. They also play a love-in in in San Francisco, and the stage is an old wagon. (laughs) Um, You know, the 60s were crazy. Uh, Dennis accidentally does poppers, and by that I mean, like, someone literally just, like, sticks them in front of his face, and he breathes as normal, and it's like, wow. Um, He says at this love-in, the audience is a sea of free love boobs. Boobs bounced. The wagon bounced. Everything bounced.
0: I mean, so- sounds pretty. Sounds pretty cool.
1: They, life is crazy, man. Um, then they bring in this guy Bob Ezrin to produce their next record, "Love It to Death." Um, Dennis doesn't like Bob, and he doesn't like his desire to invent the band. Uh-huh. Uh, from his mind, Bob Ezrin comes in. He's like, "This is how things are gonna sound." Like, you know, he mm-hmm. comes in and tries to like produce everything and makes them sound better. And I think he's credited with. You know, Alice Cooper calls him their George Martin. Sure. Um, But I don't think Dennis liked that.
0: He's uh, Because Dennis wants to be the art director, and he's not comfortable when other people have a better sense of storytelling than he does.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, they record songs like I'm 18 Uh, Bob instructs the engineer to compress the shit out of everything (laughs)
0: Um, well let's I'm 18 doesn't pop until Love It to Death on 71 let's hear one from uh, Easy Action that's 1970 okay Uh, this is uh, Shoe Salesman from that album I was listening to this one yesterday. I just thought it sounded pretty.
1: Everyone sounds... British people and American people sound exactly the The same same in songs from this time.
0: This sounds like uh, rolling up to make-out-point music of 1971, Mm -hmm. which perhaps it is. Uh, Again, still like heavy Beatles-y sounds on Mm -hmm. some of their lighter stuff, but let's... um, but there is some more abrasive, aggressive stuff on this yeah. album, like this one. I mean, sometimes they seem like they're verging into that like proto-punk Iggy and the Stooges sound mm-hmm. um, on certain sounds more than others. I mean, it, they kind of cover more of a diverse range than than the Stooges do, um, considering that they can do those like more gentle uh, uh, songs. But uh, they've got that like crunchy guitar sound of of early Stooges yeah. stuff too, as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, so that's uh, those are two tracks off of Easy Action, 1970.
1: Will you will you cue up? I'm 18. Yeah, Cause that's their first like hit.
0: Yeah, this is the one that makes them right. Are these all, and these are all recorded yes. around the same time?
1: Uh, yeah, early seven, like 1971. All
0: right, this is off of Love It to Death, 1971. This is track two. I'm 18. <laughs> Vince, Alice himself plays the harmonica right
1: I'm not sure I, yes. he does foam on my face and, hands.
0: From the ups and downs. I'm in the that dreamy phasey guitar I feel like we're moving more concretely into like the 70s sound mm-hmm. like this sounds much more like a seventies song and a sixties song, you yeah. know. And I, don't know what I, want. I just don't know what I want. Antime. There's more riff forward lines.
1: baby's brain and an old man's heart. Yep. And a 16-year-old's dick. Whomst among us not. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So that's like their, that's their breakthrough. Mm-hmm. Um, but behind the scenes, there's some friction. Yeah. Uh, because they previously shared, you know, everything straight down the middle in terms of saying everyone wrote all the songs. Sure. And now they are, you know, assigning specific songwriting credits to specific people for different mm. songs, which is that's when shit starts to get hairy. Yep. Um and Dennis is kind of like okay fine like I, st- I you know I think that I bring a songwriting sensibility to all these songs mm-hmm. But whatever. It's cool, man. It's hard when you're the bassist. And uh, Alice starts to, you know, Alice the singer begins to subsume and usurp Alice the group. Alice the band. So Dennis says, Alice stepped into the shoes of this creation and with astounding confidence, too. He brought power to his character and fed off its power. In our eyes, as our creation strengthened, the duality of the name as a, <laughs> a, as a band and as a character seemed well within the public's comprehension. In reality, however, the band, without fully realizing it, had become a 2 headed headed snake with one head destined for amputation.
0: Ooh, wow. Well, well,
1: Fizz. If, if yeah. a, a
0: little purple, but a yeah. the good things use usually of metaphor, are. yeah?
1: Yeah. Um I I think that's it's funny that he thought that the public would get it and I'm like in my mind the public is never going to Listen to a band that is called The Name of a Person. Yeah, it's the same thing with Jethro
0: Tall. Even though Jethro Tall is named after an 18th century English agricultural innovator, everybody's like, oh, that weird guy with the beard and the hair and the flute. That's Jethro Tall. No, <laughs> that's Ian Anderson, motherfuckers. <laughs> Read some fucking history. Read up on the Agricultural Revolution.
1: Learn, learn to plow, bro. Learn to plow. <laughs> plow your mind. Get
0: that seed drill going.
1: <laughs> yeah, um,. Especially when a lead singer is called the same thing as the band. It's yeah. just never, it's never going to happen. Yes. Uh, no doubt might as well have been called Gwen Stefani. Yes. Uh, but, uh, it, he, you know, the dream, there was a dream and the dream died when Alice became the person as well mm-hmm. as the group. Um and at the end of the day, sure, like, it
0: seems like it seems like they could have really should have really sat down with like a branding expert and a P, like a copyright lawyer and yeah. like ni- mid 1970 and like figured out who owned what
1: mm-hmm, really hammered it
0: out until one day your main guy comes in with a face full of makeup and says, I'm Alice Cooper. Now,
1: guess who? Guess who claimed the eyeliner? uh the
0: uh, origin. Dennis.
1: Fucking Dennis Dunaway. He's like, I came up with the eyeliner. And that was me. And I was like, hey, Alice, why don't you draw some weird shit on your face? And Alice said, he's like, I don't really like it for the stage, but it's great for every day. <laughs> Which that's why Alice Cooper mm-hmm. is Alice Cooper. He's, yeah. he's got these weird like little bo- bone bone mows.
0: Yeah. It's bons sh- mods. Yeah. I just like... Hit- it must have been so uh, disheartening when you to put all your energy behind something and then one day the one guy comes in and is like La Band Semois. C'est c'est
1: Semois. Uh the it, I, I don't know. He he never really like delves into this part of his psyche where it's like you it, and you and Alice or you and Vince both liked Dolly and all that all that surreal shit. So how is it that he became the frontman and you became the basis? What what is yeah. it in your nature that caused you to become like the backbone and yeah. Alice to become the face? Does
0: he seem like he likes
1: Alice? Still? It seems like he respects him um, and like. Uh, eventually has come to but, kind but of does a he, mutual understanding, but I think but does he missed like at the time. Talk
0: shit. Yeah, well,
1: yeah, and that like, so to continue the story, they Alice starts drinking. Um, which okay. always helps and then Glenn Glenn does too Glenn's doing a lot of drugs and drinking um,
0: once once you pop you just can't stop
1: yeah um, so they kind of like they keep recording uh, Killer uh, comes out School's Out comes out so that's like the big big time yeah yeah um, uh, so
0: Killer is 1971 mm-hmm. um, let's just get a little context on this one just sure. to hear their evolving sound do you have any tracks that they mention off of this one not really alright listen
1: This is the one with the snake on the cover. Yeah, that's Kachina, by Kachina the way. Kachina, the
0: snake. Mm-hmm. What is there some significance to that snake?
1: Uh, uh, other than being part of the title of uh, mm-hmm. the book, that's just like a snake that they bought and then we're like, this would be cool if Alice wore <laughs> her. This is you drive me nervous. Good title.
0: don't <laughs> See, I feel like you can get such a clear, like, their, their evolution is such a very clear move from that, like, 60s garage rock sound into, yeah. like, the 70s hard rock sound. Yeah. Like, each one of these is one step further, but you can still hear, like, even those, um, that rhythm guitar part in the back, like, the, um, so, so just jan- chugging j- j- more. J- 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 is like very, uh, garage rocky, but all mm-hmm. the lead sounds and, like, the phasing on the cymbals. Like Mm -hmm. all these production elements are very uh, uh, big arena rock. Yes. 70s sound. And even the structure of these songs with these, like, elaborate bridges and breaks for a little, like, trills and solos.
1: Yeah. Even even the, like, uh, syncopated, like, bump bump. bum, 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 yeah, bum, yeah. bum. That just seems built for, like, stage lights to be going off in sure. different directions.
0: Yeah, this song is, like, itself is a production. Yeah. In the same way that there's early garage rock songs that are just, like, three chord, uh, three or four chord, like, chugalugs. Yeah. Aren't.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but even as this ro- represents the evolution of this band, it also like very much encapsulates the move into that sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is 1971. Again, I would also like to note that the cover of this album with the snake looks exactly like uh, like an Alice in Chains record. Mm-hmm. but the fonts that they use on it, the, mm-hmm. the coloring of it, it's like a very uh, early '90s like post-grunge aesthetic <laughs> to it. Uh, I, in in which is to say that it looks like shit. Ah. <laughs> so everything comes back.
1: Amazing. Um, yeah, so they're, they're still recording, but, like, substance abuse is becoming more of an issue. Tensions are kind of rising. Um, they tour Europe. Glenn and Michael nearly get decapitated oh. by a rotating door in <laughs> in uh, the Netherlands.
0: I'm just so, imagining them just, like, zonked out on drugs, like, in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, trying to give get into the uh, Circus Circus hotel, but just, like, not being able to use a rotating door right and going in head first. <laughs>
1: Um, it's at this like old grand theater and the whole rotating door is made of glass and somehow like a a guitar case gets like caught in it or something and the whole thing breaks and they narrowly escape getting impaled by like a six foot tall glass shard. Um, uh, Alice says it would take more than a truckload of jagged glass to stop Glenn. It would take a math test.
0: (laughs) Sick burn, Alice.
1: Sick burn. Um, at a show at the Hollywood Bowl, they pay a helicopter pilot to drop panties from a chopper in the sky, but it's it's too breezy out, and so <laughs> none of the panties make it to the bowl, but they all land in, like, the trees and the roofs of the houses surrounding just the bowl.
0: Just imagine waking up and going and looking out of your back door the next morning and just seeing your entire backyard covered in covered panties. Covered in panties. Also, what age are they at here? This is, like, 71, 72. They're probably in, like, their early,
1: early 20s. 20s. It's just,
0: like, the massive amount the like pure dedication to being immature it would take to to go through all the logistical steps it would take yeah. to commission a helicopter to buy thousands of panties mm-hmm. to get the helicopter to load the panties on them like to get the airspace permits like the amount of things that you would yeah. have to purchase to execute this immature stunt is like <laughs> The amount that you would have to recommit over and over and over again to being this dumb is kind of mind-boggling. And to
1: one step further is that because the panties actually didn't fall on the stage and in the audience, they were threatening to not pay the helicopter pilot because they didn't <laughs> believe he had actually dropped them. Oh
0: my God. And it wasn't
1: until the next day when there was a news story that came out that was like, there's fucking panties everywhere uh, that they're like, oh, okay. You did drop in. We'll give you your money. Oh so God. like that's, that's the level of commitment to this panty drop. Imagine
0: being that vendor arguing with your, your uh, uh, client about whether or not the panty drop was executed. You go, you
1: go home from work that day and you're like your wife is like, how was work mm-hmm. today, man? And you're just like, I don't know, man, He's I got in a huge fight with right. this manager of a, a hard rock band because he thinks that I didn't drop underwear on their show. Uh,
0: just so we get out of the way, let's hit a little schools out as this is, you know, undoubtedly their most famous and, you know, s- still on radio song. Um, sure, sure, sure. As I was saying at the BNA, I think that this is probably their most known, but maybe like corniest one. But I also haven't listened to this one in a lot while. So let's hear what the song sounds like, Great. you know, 35 or 45 years later. I mean, Dennis is really playing the hell out of those bass eighth notes on mm-hmm. this. It, it really might suffer from just being too good of what it is. Like every single part of it is like such at that heightened level. Like even those like tingling organ notes at the very beginning. like this riff is just like so perfectly like, of this thing.
1: Yeah. I think that's a.
0: It's like a march part in the middle.
1: I think it's a curse of every classic song in a way, is that it becomes so much of itself that it's yeah. hard to like critique it or understand how it could be different. It's just like, oh, this is like the thing. Yeah.
0: And it, I mean, I think the thing that I'm reacting against is like having a song that sounds this big and hard and epic and then just be talking about school being out. I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, now when we do big epic songs, it's like, uh, I don't know, uh, I'm, I'm gonna fucking kill you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I mean, I don't know if it does songs like that, but, but you know, Eminem. it's like, no more no more teachers. It's just like, making this about schoolyards is a little, uh. uh but think, uh, think uh, about
1: the feeling of, like, if you really didn't like school, this is how it felt to be done. And I yeah. don't know what that feels like because I love school.
0: I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess it's maybe, like, know your audience. And if your audience is, like, 14 year olds Then I guess Is the exact type of song You should be making
1: Yeah well the same reason I always refer to Like Blink-182 As like They write They get older and older You know High school girls I get older And they stay the same age Mm -hmm. Uh the older you get, if you still can conjure up the same level of teen angst, angst, that that shit is so powerful that using it as your songwriting fuel for decades after being a teenager still yeah. seems like somewhat valid.
0: And maybe it does get a little like eyebrow raising when you're like. 35, 45, and still writing songs about uh, being a teenager. But if those songs move records, man, who am I to judge? If
1: the singles sell, keep it coming. We'll see if, you know, well, I was going to say, like, Lord is probably the most famous, like, teen singer right now, but now she's 20. And also, she has written songs about. She's over the teen hill. Yeah, but also, her songs are not, they're about being a teenager, but they're also about, like, the the weight of the entire philosophical world on your shoulders (laughs) and whatnot. Um, And dancing. Oh, Lord. Anyway, um, so Alice starts getting more and more uh, individual credit for the band's ideas, or so Dennis says. Um, and Dennis, at this point, refers to his own role in the band as the Wizard of Oz position. <laughs> so, which you know, same same deal as art director, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Where he, you know, he's coming up with stuff. He says he's coming up with stuff, and like everyone pats Alice on the back. He's it's, the man like, behind nice the idea, curtain, Alice. pulling all the levers. Mm-hmm. Um, the band increasingly starts getting treated like backup musicians. Um, so they record Billion Dollar Babies, uh, which is like their most commercially successful. Apparently they broke, um, on the the Billion Dollar Babies tour, they broke Rolling Stones' uh, sales records, which is kind of insane to think about. Um, but Glenn, the guitarist, he's consuming so much uh, substances at this point that they actually bring in backup guitarists to make up for his poor performance. Ugh. So he he's has just to like turned
0: guitarist He's just drinks himself out of the lineup.
1: Well also if you uh, you go back to the Duff McKagan principle, which is like never drink so much that you you can't play. Yeah. He's he's past that point. Right. Which
0: um, sucks. Here's Billion Dollar Babies, the title track off Billion Dollar Babies.
1: more and more like sneery yeah he goes from essentially sounding like a clone of paul mccartney yeah to like this like
0: Who's freak, said one of the smooth verticals i don't know while the moon is rising in the sky if i'm
1: tell me i'm you
0: See, I was almost going to say that this is the first one that sounds more like the last one than the one before, but even that is just like a real upping on the theatricality of it, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, Alice, as you were just saying, has more of a character that he seems to be playing each time, which is exactly what Dennis is talking about. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I gotta hand it to these boys. They, they keep they keep pushing themselves.
1: Yes. Uh, so they, they, like, tour on this, and uh their stage shows get even more elaborate but in the background Dennis is saying it's like it's not fun anymore it's <laughs> we're not we're not just like a bunch of rumpled dudes in a van driving between phoenix and la like mm-hmm. the the fun, the jig is up right um so then michael in the band wants to record a solo album um, which one is michael Michael's like the rhythm guitarist <laughs> okay i don't know who, i don't know who he is he's he's like another guy uh and while still staying a band, um, but it's kind of like this is the thing that that tears the band completely apart um, because Michael goes they're also living in this mansion in Connecticut at this point for some reason okay they, their label put them there sure Um. and hey
0: you've spent your entire life in the Southwest why don't you move to Connecticut
1: it's bizarre and to me it just sounds like in your Arrested Development season four where um, Tobias and Lindsay move into that giant McMansion they each and they're always like screaming trying to yeah like it sounds like that's like the situation psychically for the band <laughs> this point um dennis is like really fighting for the band to stay together um, instead of like making his own solo album because he says if loyalty is a weakness then i'm a wet noodle um (laughs) so dennis is just like you know he's martyring himself and his own ambitions uh for the the sake of the band but it's too late um so michael's like recording his solo album meanwhile alice does this tv special without the band um completely without the band and he uh Dennis says it's like way too commercial, way too unmysterious. Like he's lost that sort of like dark, shadowy, clouded, um obscured aesthetic that Dennis prefers. Um and it's just like I think there are maybe like monster puppets in it or something. Like he's on his way to becoming a caricature of himself, Alice.
0: Uh, here, I'm gonna play a few a second of this. This is uh, from Alice Cooper's TV special. Welcome to My Nightmare. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome again to The Muppet Show. Hey, tonight our special guest star is one of the world's most talented but frightening performers, Alice Cooper. So beware of ghoulies and ghosties and long legged beasties and things that go bump in the night. (laughs) That does it. I'm leaving. Uh, Here's Alice Cooper. So, just to give you an image of what you're seeing, it's the Muppet Show, but they're in like a sewer dungeon set, and Alice Cooper is raising out of a coffin. Cool, cool. Dressed as classic Dracula, you know, red, uh, black cape with red interior with a big brooch.
1: Yes, a big brooch.
0: (laughs) And he's talking, he's touching a skeleton that's being manipulated like a Muppet. Welcome
1: to my breakdown. His bass is not played by Dennis.
0: He's literally dancing with Muppets that look like Alf. This might be a little later than the TV special. This is 1978, so... Uh... It might be him yeah. reprising a bit yeah, of it, yeah, yeah. but it, but it's clear that this is the trajectory that he's on, not yes. far away from from the Muppets. He
1: and he's on Hollywood Squares at this point, sure. Um, which is like Dennis's ultimate nail in the coffin, no pun intended, of just like corny. Yeah, like dude, you you. He never says sold out, I don't think, but like the implication is like, no, we were trying to do this like artistic thing, like Dolly, and mm. instead.
0: You become a caricature. You're
1: a Muppet now.
0: Yeah, you shine too much light on that stage makeup, and it's revealed to be exactly that, stage no, makeup. No
1: disrespect to Muppets, all disrespect to Alice Cooper. <laughs> um, and so, like, the band is all of a sudden done. Um, Welcome to My Nightmare gets an MSG show with a totally different backing band. Um, the band is totally sniff- snuffed out of Alice Cooper. Um, uh Dennis says that he tries to go backstage at the MSG show and he's literally booted out by a security guard. Holy shit! Um, it, so does it,
0: is there any information there? Or does like Alice Cooper the man somehow retain all the rights to it? Does he kick them out or do they all quit?
1: Uh, it, I, he doesn't detail the legal implications, but there's there's some way it can be. He you know Alice Cooper is Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. I think maybe some. Uh, Byzantine law, uh, copyright law allows that to happen, I don't know. Um, So Dennis is out Uh, Glenn, the guy who was, like, doing a bunch more drugs than everyone else, um, he struggles with heroin addiction. He, like, tries to recover. He ultimately dies of, like, heroin-adjacent illnesses in the later 90s. Um, Alice Cooper gets addicted to cocaine, um, of course. (laughs) Shocking. What's amazing is that, you know, obviously lots of rock and roll excess is happening, but at least in Alice Cooper, the band, people were drinking beers smoking some some marijuana, but uh, no one was really doing like hard, hard drugs consistently until Glenn did, and then it wasn't until the band totally broke up that Alice Cooper started doing coke. Um, he gets in such well, bad shape. That's honestly more shocking. He gets in such bad shape addiction-wise that um, Dennis and his wife Cindy like visit him in a hotel room in the early 80s, and Alice is like, he basically says like my like when I look in the mirror like blood is coming from my eyes. And he as he's talking to him a tooth falls out of his mouth and he, <laughs> and every, everyone pretends to not see it. And but like on the oh drive home. He's that like, is whoa, a whoa, fucking whoa. cartoon. Yeah. Talk about macabre. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Uh so disturbing. So eventually he gets clean and he gets really into golf and really into <laughs> religion and like has a family and whatnot. Golf monster. Golf monster. Cocaine golf monster. Um so Dennis is kind of like, all right, now what do I do? And he says he like he starts playing with a different band. Um and kind of, I guess like living off of royalties unclear and the I mean book- you play
0: it on schools out, dude. That song was played on FM radio like every day in every city for Forty years. I'm sure that I'm. I'm sure he's good.
1: Yeah, he's 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 good. You good, dude? I'm good. Um, it, the book ends when Alice Cooper is the band is inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is a great. It's a mm-hmm. great hatchet. That was barrier, only a, f- a few years ago, 20, right? I think eleven. Yeah. Um. So that's like the band gets back together and uh, all old grudges are at least somewhat uh, extinguished for the night. Um, even though they don't play together anymore. Um, they play together at the induction ceremony. Um, and it, <laughs> the, the book comes to a close, including this, like, real, I think it's a funny anecdote where they are eating at the Waldorf Astoria at the, like, <laughs> uh, razzy, razzle-dazzle dinner, and they're served chicken pot pie. Okay. And uh, Michael Bruce says, is this the Waldorf or a fucking Grange meeting in Ohio? <laughs> Just like Grandma used to make. Alice poked his with a fork and said, I hope this isn't our old chicken. I can see the headlines now. I said, Alice throws chicken pot pie into the crowd. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice one. Nice one, Dennis. Yeah.
1: So at the end of the day, it's kind of like Dennis is clearly using this book as a way to kind of stake his claim of like what the Alice Cooper band was and what the aesthetic was and mm-hmm. what the songs were. But I don't think he's like mad, mad. He's not like red, nude, and mad. <laughs> you know?
0: I mean, I, again, it probably helps that he got he's paid rich. for the... For the the best part and that the highlight of it I mean Alice Cooper the guy went on to release an album almost every year oh since like 1977 it Jesus. slowed down to an album every other year or every three years in uh, the 2000s or oh, okay. the 90s in the 2000s I don't know if it 80s is like,
1: when he started like losing teeth uh, spontaneously I mean
0: through the through the mid 80s he's releasing an album every year he's like keeping himself relevant up until like 87 mm-hmm. um uh, there are some some gaps in there, but he, he's got a lot of material, including an album in 1983 called Dada itself, so oh, that shit. influence uh, stays with them. Um, so uh, my sense, and I feel like what I've heard about Alice Cooper is that the guy is no dope. He knows what he is and how to continue marketing what he is to being to his own personal success, even if he's like deteriorating in other forms of his life. So I I always appreciate that about Mm. an artist, even when it does become like grossly commercial Yes, to be like, at least if you get a sense that they know it, you know?
1: Yeah. And it's kind of how he was positioned from the very beginning of this book when he is just Vince is like, Vince is just a total bullshitter. Mm -hmm. Um, He's like a, if you talk to him, you don't know what's real and what's not. And he's Mm kind of like a salesman of himself. So it kind of makes sense that he is the way he is now.
0: What do you get a sense of Dennis Dunaway, the person like what his own personality?
1: I mean, he seems like he's got that basis thing of being like chill background guy. Mm -hmm. um, But there's definitely this weird, like niggling sense of, uh, uh, dissatisfaction and like wanting to take credit for things. Yeah. Um, that I think has been absent in other rhythm rhythm musician memoirs mm-hmm. that we've read.
0: But it's the book is not given in the tone of I need to set the record record straight. It's just like no, it's constantly like we were, trying to bolster the case that, that he was the creative thing without being like aggrieved.
1: Yes. And uh, as he opened it being like, we just had like a bunch of rock and roll fun. Let me I'm gonna tell you about all the fun we had that I was responsible for. That I
0: if it wasn't for me with that fun wouldn't happen but it was fun it was yeah, fun
1: exactly exactly um so i don't know he seems okay and the, like he had, he's a pretty good writer i mean he wrote this with someone else but mm-hmm. um good sense of like creative uh uh writing and uh dialogue and all that yeah, stuff a few passages that
0: you read had, had uh, some good metaphors in it yeah so where would you place this in the rank of uh, memoirs that we've done so far
1: i'd put it in the middle in the middle solid <laughs>
0: been worse been better <laughs>
1: been, been worse been better good Jim Morrison anecdotes a plus oh um okay. j- in, in our game of kind yes, of uh, rock memoir bingo, yeah, yeah. they definitely have a uh, their gigantic Brazilian concert. Okay. Um, they actually set a Guinness Book of World Records uh, record for the largest indoor concert ever, which was oh, 158,000 people. Holy
0: shit. And that was in Brazil? That was
1: in Rio. Oh, my God. It's
0: so tough to get a read on what Brazilian people actually like.
1: <laughs> and w- on what they actually like. And it seems like... <laughs> It seems like the entire population of Rio de Janeiro is just down to go to whatever show they want to, yeah. and all of them are free and all of them will go. <laughs> the only people who are not seeing it as a as a fan are the people who are working yeah, the yeah. arena.
0: Well, it seems like, what else have we heard going on in Rio? Because it's like Alice Cooper and uh, Guns N' Roses. Guns There's a straight line between that, but also wasn't there like a huge Madonna concert there? I mean, it's like.
1: Big Madonna concert, uh, or big, almost, <coughs> big Black Eyed Peas concert.
0: It almost seems like Rio has like one concert venue and they do one concert a night. And so it's like, and are it's you going to the ever. concert?
1: Yeah. What are you doing tonight? Are you uh, going to that like little bar down the street? No, man. I'm seeing fucking the Guns N' Roses. <laughs> it's the concert. You're not coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was a good anecdote. One thing I noted that doesn't really fit into the, the narrative of the book itself is that the unit of measurement of tacos in this book is always <laughs> a sack or a pile. As in, Vince and I were like, we were talking about the band, so we went to go get a sack of tacos to talk it out.
0: Hell yeah, I could go for a sack of tacos. I could go
1: for a pile of tacos right now, bro. Uh,
0: let's go get a pile of tacos. Let's
1: just go get a sack of tacos. <laughs> um, no, I'm serious.
0: I could go for a sack of tacos.
1: And the best sentence— <laughs> award uh, of this book goes to when someone threw a cake on stage during one of their uh, concerts and hit Alice in the face. And he said, We always encourage spontaneity on stage, but did not like having our hypnotic drama spoiled by a cake assassin. <laughs> I am the cake assassin. Uh, it's the opposite of Steve Aoki. <laughs> cake should always go the stage to, to, to audience, audience rather than never audience the other way to around. stage.
0: Yes, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Well, uh, it's been an enlightening tour through uh, late or late 60s, early 70s hard rock history with sure Mr. Has. Dennis Dunaway. Uh, thank you for that. Um, <laughs>
1: thank you, Dennis. I
0: definitely uh, enjoyed a lot of the stuff that I was uh, listening to.
1: They rock, man. Yeah,
0: they certainly rock. And it got me a little uh, horned for listening to more of that early uh, 70s hard rock sound. And it always a good reminder that every time you hear one of these bands that you know one giant song of, if you... If you consider that one giant song at least passable, then you know that it's like a tip of the iceberg that they have like a whole bunch of other material under it. Like I would totally listen to um, Killer or uh, Schools Out all the way through and enjoy it. Those would be like uh, you know good working or or, or uh, getting getting a run in albums.
1: Spoopy, spoopy rock.
0: Good spoopy rock. Throw throw it on in the back of a Halloween party.
1: The last <laughs> right. It's so much better than the mon. Well, I don't know if it's better than the Monster Mash. Bite your tongue. But at least. <laughs> At least it sounds like any of these Alice Cooper albums could be a a sort of all, they're all monster mashes in a way <laughs> just different kinds of who said there was only one monster mash
0: anything could be a monster mash if you put your, uh, your heart if in you it if you believe in yourself yes.
1: the last thing the last last thing I will say about this book is that the cover is a group photo of all five original members and unfortunately uh, the the why in Dunaway actually turns into an arrow pointing to which member Dennis Dunaway is <laughs> and I would say this is because they you're not you're never going to put just Dennis on the cover and understand understand. understand who he is and that's not going to sell books but it's also a wonderful photo of like five men with really really long hair uh and a snake the snake the snake so i I just think it's funny that when you have to write a memoir but you have to point to yourself in the book cover Mm -hmm. you probably have something to prove you probably have have some records to set straight yeah Yeah, a chip for shersies well uh thank
0: you molly for all that great story thank you dennis for all that great bass playing uh, and anecdotes, uh, and thank you, the listener, for listening to another episode of And Introducing. We'll be back in two weeks, back on our original equipment. So uh, back just, on our bullshit, yeah, back on our original bullshit. Uh, but until then, you can follow us at And Intro Pod on Twitter or email us at And Introducing Pod at gmail dot com. Our SoundCloud is, as always, soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod, and please subscribe to us on iTunes. Or, and while you're there. Uh, rate and review us. We are craving those ratings.
1: Craving those ratings.
0: Craving those ratings. Um, ratings, review, anything you want. Put it all there. Give it, give us give us all you have. Let it all hang out. Yep. Uh, but until then, I'm Chris Wade.
1: I, I'm Molly O'Brien.
0: And this has been an introducing.